Amen. Church family, would you take God's Word and join me this morning in the book of Colossians. Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, chapter 1, this morning, verses 25 to 27. Colossians chapter 1, verses 25 to 27 is where we will camp out together on this first Sunday of Advent. When you actually stop to consider the Christmas story, though though you have heard it many times over, you have maybe told it many times over, when you actually stop to consider the Christmas story, you are confronted, if we're honest, with a great deal of mystery. A great deal of mystery that surrounds the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is much, certainly, about the Christmas story that we are able to understand, but there are also parts of the story, if we're honest, that just are a bit mysterious to us. Questions arise as we consider the Christmas story. How is it that the pre-existent, eternal, uncreated God could be born as a man through a miraculous virgin birth? We know that those are facts of the Christmas story, but if we're, just, if we're just honest a bit, there's some mystery as we try to wrap our brains around a question like that. Why is it that on the night of Jesus' birth, the announcement that was made by the heavenly host, that announcement was not made there on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. It was not made in King Herod's palace. But that announcement was made out in the Judean fields to shepherds who watched over their flocks by nights. How is it that God's salvation plan that was wrought in God's heart from eternity past How is it that that plan has come to full fruition in a dirty, smelly stable in a pretty small, out-of-the-way little village? How is it that sin would enter creation through the one man, Adam, but by the gift of grace, of the one man, Jesus Christ, that grace would abound to the many. There are some glorious mysteries as we think about Christmas and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you think about the Old Testament, because the Christmas story, remember, it doesn't begin in Matthew or Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story begins much, much further back than that. But as you're reading your way through the Old Testament, you're finding that as you try to put together the story of Christ, even in the Old Testament, that there is a bit of mystery there. Because there are types of the One who would come. There are shadows of the One who would come. There are brief 
glimpses, there are promises, and there are signs. But all throughout the Old Testament, as you read, you're longing for something, but you're not quite sure what that something is. Much like the saints of the Old Testament. They trusted in God's promises. They believed by faith in God's promises of this coming Redeemer, this coming Messiah who would make all things right and all things new. But Hebrews 11.13 tells us that all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance. And then as you turn the page into the New Testament of God's Word and you see the, the, the beauty of Christ, the coming of Christ, and as you keep reading through the New Testament, you'll find the New Testament authors, and particularly Paul, who keeps talking about the coming of Christ and the, the story of the Gospel. He keeps talking about it in terms of a mystery. We will see him use that word twice in our text this morning. Referencing the coming of Christ, the story of Christ, the the Gospel message as a mystery. And every time we come across that word mystery in Scripture, beloved, it is pointing us to one blazing, brilliant, glorious reality that the mystery from long ages past, is none other than the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this glorious mystery is proclaiming to us so crystal clear in all of Scripture that because Christ has come, that there is now for the children of God An everlasting hope. A hope with a promise for today and a hope with a promise for tomorrow. And at the center of this glorious mystery is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Let's look at the text together in Colossians chapter 1. I want you to just kind of know from the outset, you're going to have to, in this text with Paul, you're going to have to probably work a little harder maybe than in some other texts to follow Paul here. You know how Paul gets. He gets overwhelmed and overrun with excitement. He just starts talking, doesn't take a breath. The sentence goes on for verses and verses and verses. And one thought's connecting to the next. That's what's before us here. And it's all driving at and going to culminate in the very end of verse 27. But starting in verse 25, Paul says this, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God, bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. That is, the mystery. Which has been hidden from the past ages and generations but has now been manifested to His saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul is 
writing to the church at Colossae because there is a theological error that abounds in this day. It is making its way across the land into the churches. And it is an error that is centered on the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul is writing to address these heretical, errant teachings. This is why, if you let your eyes just slip back up the page to verse 13, and just let your eyes fall down through verse 20, and notice all the times that Paul is using the pronoun he or him in referring to Christ. Paul intends in verses 13 to 20 to make clear who Christ is. And then as you look from verses 21 to 23, Paul is making clear once again, this is not only who Christ is, but this is what Christ has done. And now at the end of the chapter, verses 24 to 29, Paul is saying, hey, here is my commitment, our commitment to who Christ is and what Christ has done. And in the middle of the text this morning, verses 25 to 27, you see Paul using that word mystery two different times in order to drive at this one central reality at the end of verse 27. And so here's what we want to do from these three verses. I want us to see three features of this mystery. What is this mystery, Paul? What do you mean by this? Certainly, what does, does this have to do with our lives? I want us to see these three features of this mystery. And these sermon points, much like the text before us, one kind of builds upon the other, driving at the end of verse 27. Here's the first feature of this mystery, that this mystery, it is declared through the preaching of God's Word. The mystery And we'll unfold that and unpack that to see what that is. But that is declared in and only in the preaching of the Word of God. Verse 25, of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. Paul begins verse 25 by referencing his relationship to the church, to this mystery, and he refers at the beginning of verse 25 to saying, of this church, I was made a minister. If you let your eyes slip back up to verse 24, Paul there is talking about the body of Christ. And then maybe your Bible has it in parentheses or just as a clause here, he will say, I'm speaking of the church. Verse 24, Paul is setting before us the church and his role in that. What is the church? Just very briefly, the church here. The Greek word ekklesia. It's the called out and gathered ones. Called out of sin by God's grace and placed into the gathering of the body of Christ. That's both a universal gathering and then a local gathering. You are part of the church. When and and only when You come to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation and you begin to gather together. 
the church, while many might fill a room any given Sunday, the church is those that have been saved from their sin by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and in those who have been made a part of this body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 25, Paul, what does he say about his relationship to this church? He says that I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God. I was made a servant, Paul says. That's what the word minister means there. And I was given a stewardship from God. Paul understands what? Paul understands his role. Paul understands that his role is not that of the imminent apostle. It is not that of the great speaker and evangelist. It is that of a servant. Paul no doubt remembers his conversion and call to ministry back in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus, breathing threats against the church, and God by sovereign, miraculous, glorious grace saves Paul on the road to Damascus. He's blind for three days, and in that time, God is confirming, Paul, I am going to use you for the spread of the gospel across the world. So Paul never loses sight of, I am a servant. And then he says what? I am a steward. Because this ministry is not my ministry. It's not my platform. This is God's Gospel. It is God's message. It is God's ministry. He has entrusted this to me, and I am a steward of what first belongs to God. Everything that Paul has. From his, from his life, to his salvation, to his ministry, to his spiritual gifts. It is all from God, and Paul intends to do what? He intends to use it to leverage all of that for God's glory and the advancement of God's kingdom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul will say this about himself, about all ministers of the Gospel. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Look back again, verse 25, follow Paul's argument. I was made a minister. I was given this stewardship. It was bestowed on me. I didn't earn it. I didn't buy it. It was bestowed on me for what purpose? For your benefit, Paul says. He's keenly aware that he does not exist as a person. He does not exist as a believer. He does not exist as an apostle, as a servant, or a steward for himself, but for whom? For the good of others. Paul's ministry given to him by grace, Paul intends to take that gracious gift to edify and build up the church. How is Paul going to do this? Keep following the argument with me at the end of verse 25 through what? The preaching of the Word of God. The full preaching of the full counsel of the Word of God. What Paul intends in his ministry is to leave nothing out when it comes to the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. That word full or fully there in verse 25, it's the same word throughout Uh, used throughout a lot of places in the New Testament. It's used in Matthew's Gospel to talk about full fishing nets. In many other places throughout the New Testament, it's used to refer to the completing of a particular task. What does Paul intend? He intends to uncover 
every rock. He intends to delve into every mystery. He intends to declare every gospel truth about God, about Christ, about sin, about salvation, about humanity, and about how we can be right with God as He fully preaches the Word of God. This is not the point of this particular passage, but I I cannot move through this point and not say something along these lines that any minister of the Gospel would do well to remember that he is called to preach the entire counsel of God's Word or he is not called to preach at all. We must be those who proclaim from start to finish, thus saith the Lord. If people would know Christ, the minister must preach the Word. If people would be convinced of sin and salvation, the minister must preach the Word. If the mystery, the mystery of the Gospel, if it is to be revealed, the preacher must preach the Word. If people at this exact time of year are to know the glory and the hope of Christmas, then preach the Word. If we are to be in awe of the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us, then we must do what? We must preach the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. God has revealed Himself in His Word. He has revealed His Son in His Word. He has revealed salvation in His Word. He has declared the mystery in His Word. So preach the Word secondly. Second feature of this mystery is Paul's building, All right, so take what you just learned in verse 25. Let's build on that. That the mystery has been now made manifest. The mystery has now been made manifest. Starts coming together a bit here, I think, for us in verse 26. He says in verse 26, that is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to His saints. So Paul ends verse 25 talking about the preaching of the Word of God, the reality that this mystery is going to be made known in the preaching of the Word of God. And from that language of the Word of God in verse 25, Paul now says here in verse 26, that is. Here's what I'm talking about, Paul says. When I'm talking about the Word of God, here's what I mean by that. Verse 26, the mystery that has been hidden from past ages in generations. What does Paul mean when he specifically references the Word of God as a mystery? Does he mean that Scripture's not knowable? Uh, does he mean that we need some clues as to be able to figure out some kind of, uh, some kind of heavenly key to unlock these mysteries? Well, what does Paul say in verse 26? That is, the mystery which... So here's some explanation for us, which has been hidden from the past ages and generations. When Paul calls God's Word the mystery, he is referring to the fact that 
all of Scripture, all of Scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament, from Genesis to Revelation, all of Scripture is telling one glorious, if not sometimes mysterious, unfolding plan of salvation. The story of Scripture is one, again, it's from Genesis to Revelation. Every page you turn in your Bible is just unfolding this one glorious story a bit more. And what he's saying to us here is that this mystery is the one unfolding narrative of how God rescues, how He redeems His chosen but fallen people through His Son, Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, to those past ages and to those past generations, that story was not always clear. Admit it yourself. That sometimes when you're reading through portions of the Old Testament, if you're just honest, you will at least think to yourself, I don't have a clue what this means or how this fits into the story of the Bible, the story of Jesus, and if you're super honest, you will say, and I really don't know how I'm supposed to apply this to my life. As you're reading throughout, the story is not always clear. And by the way, you've got the whole full counsel of God's Word to help you. Those in ages past, the past generations, think Old Testament saints, Beloved, they didn't have what we have. They got it bit by bit. Piece by piece. Century by century. Sometimes millennia by millennia. It just slowly kind of unfolded for them. And the way that this story came to them so often was in these types. Or shadows. Promises. And signs. As I said earlier, they believed in God who gave these types, shadows, promises, and signs. They believed that He was good. They believed that He was faithful. And so they trusted even if they died. As Hebrews 11 told us. Even if they died without having seen the promises come to fruition, they believed. Even though there was some mystery to it. Think about just one place in the Old Testament that serves as a glorious type, a foreshadowing of what would later come. There's the, the, the types and the shadows and how we see Christ in the Old Testament. It's everywhere. It's on every page of Old Testament Scripture. But think about the Passover for just a moment. This is one glorious place. You recall the events of the Passover. God's people in bondage. Pharaoh will not let them go. Nine plagues have come before. Now comes the tenth plague. It's the most severe. It's the death of the firstborn son. And God declares, I am going to come around at night and I am going to destroy the firstborn in all the land of Egypt. And what's sometimes missed in that reality It's in that moment when God says what He is about to do. Can you imagine being a Hebrew in that moment and hearing 
that around midnight, the death angel is coming to destroy the firstborn in every house in the land of Egypt. The fear, the terror, the dread, the certain reality of death and doom and sorrow, but God. God says what? Take a lamb. Kill the lamb. Take its blood and put it on the doorpost of your home. And when I come, I will do what? When I see the blood, I will pass over. Beloved, do we not see in that moment, in the entire sacrificial system of the Old Testament, do we not see the glorious mystery of Christ? Our Passover, as Paul would call Him in Corinthians. Who would come? The blood of a perfect, spotless, sinless Lamb shed on Calvary's cross. His blood painted on the doorpost of your life, if you will, so that in the future when the death angel comes, when judgment comes, He will see the blood of Christ on your life and do what? He will pass over. All throughout Scripture, it's driving at, even if it's shadowed, Even if there's some types and figures that are pointing to Christ, it's all pointing to the glorious saving plan of God. It was once hidden, but look at the end of verse 26. But has now been what? Has now been manifested to His saints. What was once a mystery is now plain. What was once behind a veil is now in clear sight. What was once shrouded in mystery in these types and shadows has now been made manifest. That word manifested in verse 26 means to make known, to make fully known. To make clear, to show, to make evident. The mystery has now been made clear. To whom? Verse 26. To His, God's saints. Who are God's saints? The word saints means His holy, set apart ones. And we're not talking about venerated human beings throughout history, we're talking about God's children. We're talking about those saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. Beloved, Paul is talking about you. You. God's precious saints. I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter if you don't feel like a saint. If you are in Christ, you are His Holy One. You are His called out One. You are His special child and this mystery has now been made clear to you how 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 has the mystery been manifested how do now you and i have the intense privilege of seeing clearly what was once shrouded in mystery what light has shown to cause shadows to flee and types to be fulfilled? Look thirdly with me. And here's where it all culminates. The third feature of this mystery is that the mystery 
is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, follow Paul's argument. I am preaching the Word because that's how the mystery is proclaimed and declared. That's how people know about it. And that mystery, which is the Word of God in verse 26, to those long ages and generations past, it was, it was mysterious. It wasn't clear. But to you, at the end of verse 26, my holy ones, God says, here, I want you to see this clearly. How then is it shown clearly? Verse 27, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul says at the beginning of verse 27, to whom God willed to make known. That to whom is referring to the saints, to to you, Christian, at the end of verse 26. And it is to you, precious saint, that God has willed to make known this mystery. And saint, I, I want you to just think about this with me for a moment. And I want you to rejoice in thanksgiving with me for a moment. Because if God had not willed to make it known to you, you never would have known it. How do we know that? Because of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 that says this, a natural man, an unsaved man, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So don't miss the gracious reality in verse 27 that if you're in Christ this morning, it's because God willed to make it known to you. It's because God took your dead, lifeless, spiritual corpse and shook it to life and breathed the breath of life into your nostrils so that you could awaken and understand understand that which you previously could not. Beloved, that's the glory of Christmas. God's grace, as we heard moments ago. God did this. He willed to make it known to you. He didn't didn't wait for you to will it. He did the willing. Church, What did He make known in verse 27? He made known, look at the text, He made known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery. Church, miss this, and I think you'll miss Christmas. If you miss this, I think you're going to miss the Bible. If you miss this, Genesis to Revelation are not going to make any sense to you and Scripture will always be a mystery. The riches of the glory of this mystery, verse 27, 
is the fact that God would forgive, that He would ransom, redeem, reconcile, adopt, that He would send and crucify His Son for people who were His enemies. That's the mystery of the riches of the glory of this mystery. That God would love us when we did not love Him. That God would save. Look in verse 27. To whom? Again, among whom? The Gentiles. That God would be so gracious to not only save by faith the Jewish people, but even among the Gentiles. Those who were not the people of God, but now by His grace made the people of God. Those who were outside the camp, now inside the camp. Those who had no home, no inheritance, now children of God. Those who were separate, but now have been grafted in. And are now the covenant people of God. God would save even us. God would save the nations. God would save men and women from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. How? How would God do it in verse 27? God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Here it is. Which is Christ in you the hope of glory. What's the mystery? Who is the mystery? Where do we find that all the shadows become clear and all the types are fulfilled? We find it in Christ. Look down to Colossians chapter 2, verse 2. Paul's desire here that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ Himself. Chapter 4 and verse 3, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the Word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned. The story of redemption, the story of the Bible from start to finish is the story of Jesus. And that He would come for us. And that He would die for us. That He would be raised for us. That one day He would come again for us. But until that day, it is Christ in you. The hope of glory. What does it mean that Christ be in you? It means that you have new life in Christ. 
It means that His presence dwells within us through His Spirit. It means that at the moment when you trust in Christ by saving faith, that He comes to you, He seals you, He is with you, He is actually in you for all eternity. Friend, this morning... Are you in Christ? And is Christ in you? Not, do you know some things about Jesus? Not, do you mention His name in your Christmas celebrations? Is He in you? Have you turned from sin and turned to Christ and Christ alone for salvation? Have you counted the cost and said Jesus is better? Is He in you? Does He dwell within you? If not, you must trust Him today. Don't wait. Don't wait until a better time. Don't wait until a better day. Don't wait until it's more opportune. That day, that moment will never come. Trust in Christ this day. This day. Is Christ in you, Paul says, the hope of glory? If Christ be in you, then what is yours, saints? What is yours this Christmas? What is yours in the new year? What is yours for all eternity? The hope of glory. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Not just a wish. Not just a fanciful desire. Not just believing in something that may or may not happen. But a rock-solid, certain expectation. That's what hope is. If your hope is in anything other than Christ, you're in a dangerous spot. Because that thing that you're hoping for, that you place your hope in, it's never going to deliver. It's never going to deliver. And you're always going to be disappointed. But the hope of the glorious mystery of the Gospel will never, ever, ever disappoint you saints. Because God has redeemed His people through Christ, Christ is now in us, the hope of glory. The certain expectation is yours, church, that what God started, He's going to finish. The certain expectation, church, is yours, that God is going to get you safely home. The story of Christmas is I came for you, I redeemed you, And I'm coming back for you. Your hope this morning, church, is Romans chapter 8 and verse 30. That those whom He predestined, these He also called. And whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. A certain expectation of glory is yours because of Christ in you. Your future is secure. 
saints. So rest. Rest. God will raise you up with Christ. God will glorify your earthly body and give you what He always intended. God will redeem creation and make all things new. And friends, it's actually better than we could possibly imagine. Christ in you. The hope of glory. So what is your hope in? In whom is your hope? Don't let it be anything other than Christ who is the fulfillment of this glorious mystery. Who brings with Him when He comes into your life a certain expectation of glory. Church, join me this Christmas. Join together in proclaiming the mystery by telling others the ancient Gospel story. Make the mystery of redemption clear. As it has been made clear to you, make it clear by pointing people to the hope of glory who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And let that, let that sustain you these days and in the days to come. Let's pray. Father, God, as we're contemplating the realities here of this rich, this rich text, every word so crucial and important to our lives, God, overwhelm us. Remind us that there was a day when we heard the mystery of the Gospel proclaimed and we believed. You saved us. God, where we understood that Jesus came not just for the world, but for for me. To save me from my sins. God, remind us that previously we had no hope. But now we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. God, there is much here to contemplate. Much that we should marinate upon and in. So God, in the coming days, just keep unfolding Your Word into our hearts. God, all the while, reminding us, showing us, teaching us that in Christ is every blessing. Every present blessing. Every future blessing. God, may our celebration this December God, just be rooted in the work of Christ and the hope that is ours through Him. So we ask then and pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Church, as we stand to sing.